Sometimes we find ourselves not quite sure what our future holds. We find ourselves in a particular situation where uh, the thought of the future is a little unsettling or a little uncertain, and it can maybe lead to a little bit of uh, worry or anxiety or uh, maybe even discouragement. I would be willing to bet this is probably how most of us feel most of the time about the future, because sometimes we have a slight glimpse of what the future might hold, but usually we're just not exactly sure. And especially if there's something that we really want in the future, and it seems a little bit out of our control, that can cause quite a bit of turmoil interiorly. And it's in moments like that that it's really important for us to be reminded and to remind each other that God has a plan. And, and although we may have heard that before, and although we may have even told others that before, it's still a lot easier uh, to say it than to believe it. But it's true that God has a plan, and we see that in the details of our own life whenever we take a little step back and examine it. And we also especially see it in the details of Scripture, couple thousand years of history recorded through various books of the Bible, but you see the detailed plan playing out with God's providence all the way through. And I believe today is a really good example, uh, opportunity for us to highlight that. So in the first reading today, we have one of the most controversial moments of the Old Testament where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Uh, Apparently there was a movie that was recently made about this. I think it's called His Only Son. I didn't see the movie, so I can't really give you a, a, a movie review. But there's someone that, uh, that I know that, you know, is just kind of recently getting into his faith, didn't really know a whole lot yet, and is still learning a lot, and uh, went to go see the movie and um, was just so appalled by the plot that he actually left before the movie ended. He said, like, why? He said, I don't know if I can even buy into this. Like, why would a God ask a man to sacrifice his son? So, he's, you know, he's telling me about this. I said, well, you know, that's not how the story ends. You know that, right? And he said, Really? He left the movie theater, didn't even know. I said, yeah, like, it's right there in Scripture. It's not how it ends. There, there's more to the story, I promise. And so, we, we, you know, we, of course, laughed. Um, but, but I think it just goes to show, like, it, it's kind of refreshing to see, because we kind of take it for granted, because we know how it ends, right? But it, it's so refreshing, like, yeah, this is like an appalling, like, idea that God would ask Abraham to offer up his only son, as a sacrifice, like to take his own life. So it is, it is mysterious, right? And God's ways are not our ways, and we don't always quite fully know what God is up to. But what's beautiful about this story is that Abraham has such immense faith, such trust in God the Father, that he obeys. But not only does Abraham obey, it seems to suggest that Isaac obeys as well. Now, I'll just say on the front end, there does seem to be some debate among Scripture scholars about the age of Isaac. Um, so some would say that he's you know, a very young boy. Others will say that he's a little bit more into adulthood. Um, but I think it is interesting at least to entertain the thought and, and to see that even as early as the first century, you, know, you have these, um, these scholars uh, talking about uh, the possibility that Isaac 
would have been more into his adulthood. Um, that it's possible that he was, you know, maybe even in his 30s. Um, and the reason they suggested this is because, you know, at this particular part in Scripture, um, there, there's like a number of years that is just kind of unaccounted for, like a, a span of like 30 years. And they do like one event and then another event. Um, and, and it's not exactly clear uh, the timeline. Another thing that they bring up is that, you know, Isaac is tasked with carrying the wood for the sacrifice up a mountain, which would have been really heavy. For, especially for a young boy to do. And Abraham was really, really old in this time of his life. Um, and so it just, it seems to be fitting that, that Isaac was at least strong enough to carry up the wood for his own sacrifice. Enough wood to create a fire large enough to consume a human body, which would have been a lot. Um, which is also to suggest that Isaac would have been stronger than Abraham and thus able to resist Abraham in, in the sacrifice. In other words, to resist the taking of his life. But he doesn't. He's, he's, he's participating and cooperating in the instruction that was given. Thus, kind of to like show us that like, regardless of his age, it seems to suggest that Abraham and Isaac both have this trust that whatever God is up to, it's going to be for their good and that they're just going to trust and obey and follow God's will here. And, and, and praise the Lord, God's will was that Isaac would not die. I mean, that was part of God's plan. And, and that's, that's what ends up happening, that Isaac, Isaac survives because God intervenes right before the sacrifice is offered and says, here, take this ram instead. Offer that up to me. But, but the merit, the spiritual merit that was, that was gained here of Abraham and Isaac's faith and trust, acknowledging that God is a good, provident father. It was huge. And, and the Jewish people knew this throughout the centuries. They, they, they recognized this act as, as perhaps the greatest act of faith in their Jewish history. And, and, and to, to serve as an example for them that whatever God's will is for your life, to trust it, to follow it, God has a plan. They couldn't see God's plan. They didn't know what God's plan would be, but it was a good plan. It ended with Abraham and Isaac both surviving and, and being in relationship with God. And what's really cool here, too, is that now, in hindsight, thousands of years later, we can see the parallels with Jesus Christ, who himself was in his 30s, who carried the wood of his own sacrifice, the cross, up a mountain to offer up his own life as the only begotten son of God the Father. You see the parallels between Isaac and Jesus here. And I was, uh, so I was recently, in, uh, not recently, a couple of years ago in the Holy Land, got to do that right before I was ordained a priest. Beautiful experience. And we had the opportunity to go to the place where the, the, uh, Jewish temple used to be. Now today it's, it's an Islamic mosque, um, but uh, it's called Temple Mount now, but it used to be the place where the, the Jewish temple was. And we see right there in Second Chronicles that when the temple was built, King Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. What's Mount Moriah? 
the place where Abraham and Isaac were going to offer the life of Isaac in sacrifice. In other words, the temple was built right on that spot. So it was really cool. Like we could go and see like the spot where like this sacrifice would have happened. And that is where uh, the Holy of Holies uh, was as well, a little bit later. The Holy of Holies of the temple, like it's all in the same, same spot. And, and, and bringing that connection, uh, the Jewish people, to, to continue to offer sacrifices in memory of the original intended sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. What's also really interesting is that when you're standing right there, just within eyesight, walking distance, is Mount Calvary. The Holy Sepulchre Church where, uh, where Jesus um, offered his own life. And, and really, if you, I mean, if you want to just kind of be technical about it, it's pretty much the same mountain. Like it's all in the same spot that there's a geographical connection here. Even though thousands of years later, somehow in God's providence, God's only begotten son climbs the same mountain and offers his life and, and fulfills this offering, the sacrifice, but this time in a way that's meaningful, that's spiritually effective for all of us. In other words, God has a plan. And, and all of these generations of people in between those two events maybe didn't see that plan so clearly, but we can see it now in hindsight. And it's a great example. This happens all the time where, like, even though we can't see the plan, God has a plan. And it's so true. Like, it's, it's even true to the, the minuscule details of your own life. And God does respect our free will and, and our cooperation and our choices. And even when we make bad choices and wrong decisions, it's, it's incredible and beautiful how God can still make all things new and make it work for the good of those who believe in him, who follow him. God is constantly at work in a plan for you, in the overall plan of the history of salvation. So I just offer that as a word of encouragement and a reminder and maybe even a question for you today. How anxious are you about your future? And how worried are you about the future of your family, your kids, or your parents. And versus how trusting are you in God's plan for your life and in God's providence and overall control over your circumstances? And I think that we all kind of wrestle back and forth, but it's a good question for us to think about today because if you're feeling a little worried or, or unsettled about your future, where do we find hope other than Jesus Christ? And that's what we see in beautifully in the gospel today is the great story of the transfiguration, which uh, we, we see this story a lot in scripture. Uh, I mean, sorry, in, in the liturgical year, a couple of times it comes up throughout. Uh, if you come to mass regularly, you're, you're going to hear this story come up. And, and it's that, that scene where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up uh, Mount Tabor and his uh, divinity has typically been veiled, mostly up to this point, but he, he unveils it temporarily for a moment. And, and his face, his clothes, dazzling in all of his glory and splendor. And Peter, James, and John get to see it. They get to behold the glory of God. 
And, and what's interesting is like after this event is over, Jesus warns them about his passion, death, and resurrection. So it kind of begs the question, like, why did Jesus let them see this now? Why now? Why did he show them that just for a moment? And again, God's ways are not our ways, and we don't, we don't fully know. But perhaps at least one reason is to give them hope. To give them hope for the moment soon after when they would see Jesus suffer and die. You can imagine following Jesus for three years and all of a sudden, like seeing him suffer such a cruel ending of his life, how, how unsettling and discouraging and frightening that must have been. But what a gift and what a blessing to have had this transfiguration moment to encourage them, to be reminded, to remember that, oh yeah, Jesus is more than what meets the eye. There is a divinity veiled behind this humanity, and that divinity shines forth. And you know, it's the same in our life. Like, I hope and I pray that each of you have at least one and hopefully a lot more than one times in your life when you have, have been convinced of God's love for you, whenever you, you felt his presence or you were, it was just so clear in your mind without a doubt, or maybe he provided for you in a way that was undeniable, that, that God was there for you. And those are the moments that we have to go back to in times of trial, when in times of darkness and uncertainty, whenever we are just not sure about our future, we go back, we remember those moments when God was good to us. And that gives us the encouragement, the strength, the hope to persevere through hard times. Because that same God that spoke to you then is with you now. And even though it might feel like you're in a maze and that you'll never get out of it, you will. God knows how to get out of that maze, and he'll lead you through it. It's no uh, coincidence that, you know, um, in Eucharistic adoration, uh, sometimes you'll see the monstrance, which is the thing that displays the Eucharistic host. You'll see that uh, upon a stand. We, we have one whenever we do adoration. And there's like a little stand here. It's no, no coincidence that we call that stand a Tabor, like Mount Tabor. Because in Eucharistic adoration, it's as if the Lord is once again on display on Mount Tabor, revealing to us his divinity, revealing to us his glory and, and shining forth his love and his hope for us. And even though it's still veiled behind the Eucharistic host, we don't fully see it every time. In faith, we know it's there. We know it's Jesus. There's something so beautiful that, that whenever we are struggling, look no further than Jesus. He will give you hope. And he will remind you that God has a plan. Amen.